Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening this Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. Topics on this episode include the Borrower Satisfaction Program, my interview with Joe Garrett from Garrett McCauley, and part two of Fed Chair Powell's testimony in front of Congress. There's a cost to staying at home as much as we do. I went to the doctor the other day. She told me, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that your weight is perfect. The bad news is you're a foot short. What's the cost of keeping your customer versus the cost of finding a new one? According to Stratmore data, the average time to close a refinance loan is currently around 60 days, with many lenders, depository institutions in particular, experiencing cycle times in the 90 to 110 day range. How are originators supposed to delight borrowers when cycle times are out of control? It starts with setting the right expectations. Data from MortgageSat, the borrower satisfaction program, with more than 260,000 borrower respondents in 2020, shows that one in five loans in the fourth quarter failed to close within the expected time frame set by the lender, costing 57 points on the net promoter score, from 87 to 30. MortgageSat director Mike Seminari offers three suggestions to help set appropriate borrower expectations and mitigate long cycle times in his February mortgage SAT tip. You'll have to go to robchrisman.com to read that. Today's guest on the podcast is Joe Garrett of Garrett McCauley. He's been in the business since 1978. After profitability came so easily for originators in 2020, what do you see changing going forward? Record profitability obviously does not last forever. Well, Robbie, I don't spend any time trying to guess what interest rates are going to do. But uh, I would say that over the past several decades, what I've seen, actually the last four decades, is that when rates go up, they tend to go up quickly uh, without any expectation that they're going up, um, often very sudden and jarring. So these changes in in interest rates, um, they don't really come when people are thinking about their coming right around the corner. And and let's not forget that it's a possibility rates could drop. You know, if we had 1% mortgage rates, it's not completely impossible things happen a certain way. But uh, my guess is that in terms of record profitability, as the cliche goes, trees don't grow to the moon. Um, Generally speaking, in life, there's this concept of reversion to the mean. And last year, according to the MBA survey, the industry averaged 202 basis points per loan in terms of profit originating and selling a loan. Going back to the 17 years that we've tracked the MBA numbers, and excluding last year, the industry has averaged 54 bips. So from 54 to 202, it's, this is not a whole new ball game. It's going to revert to the mean. Um, you know, is it going to happen late this year? Is it going to happen in early 22? I have no clue. I just think that when it does happen, it's going to be pretty ugly. The typical modality is that when you have these events where rates go up and volume goes down, you also have intense margin com- com- compression, um, and you have these price wars that uh, can be just brutal. And the reason why this one, in my opinion, is going to be even worse is that everybody has bucket loads of capital after last year's great year. They have a lot more capital to fight a price war and to fight it longer. Uh, and so I think it's going to be more protracted and bloodier. And on top of that, you've got public mortgage companies with all of their extra capital 
and with they're desperately trying to meet street expectations. So all around, uh, one of these days when rates go up and volume goes down, what I think is it's going to be really, really difficult. And what you said there at the onset reminds me of that famous uh, Rudy Dornbush quote from the, he's a, he's an old economist saying in economics, things take longer to happen than you think they will, or then they happen faster than you thought they could. And I, I never heard that. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if everyone's flush with cash right now, what, what differentiates successful from unsuccessful lenders through, throughout lending cycles? Wow. So uh, once again, I've been in the industry slightly over 40 years and I'm doing what I'm doing now for 17 years where I've really observed a lot. And uh, the ones that are consistently successful throughout the cycles, I would say they know their numbers better than anyone else. They um, are almost like CPA types, just obsessed with numbers. And where does that lead to? It leads to uh, an obsession with cutting costs. And uh, the really good ones are good about not cutting costs in a bull market like this. You want to, you know, throw all your resources at it. When things get really, really tough, uh, cost containment is everything. Um, And I'd say the other thing uh, that I've noticed more over the last 15 or 20 years is that a lot of companies, when they go into these cycles, they'll lose money six, seven, eight months in a row. They'll lose money nine, 10, 11 months out of a year. And the really successful people just refuse to cut, to take losses. And they will jump in right away and do massive, massive cuts. And I think those are the, the two differentiators. Um, knowing their numbers inside and out and be, being willing to take really tough measures on the cost side. So to, to elaborate on that, before we actually get into these price wars and and cuts are necessitated, how do mortgage companies best prepare for a rainy day? Uh, the best preparation for tough times is to have made a boatload of money prior to that. And so um, I think everybody you know had a great year last year, so that's going to help. Um, but the main thing, I think, is just, uh, well is to have a plan in advance. And I'm going to tell you that maybe one out of 10, one out of 15 of our clients has a written contraction plan, a written contingency plan. And uh, But the ones that do, like going into 2018, they just did much better. And so some of these plans can be very simple um, and very elegant in their simplicity. And one that I Remember, Robbie, it was a Maryland company, and uh, the board of directors, and they had a, it was a bank division, they had a serious board. They said, we know that your business is really cyclical, you guys in the mortgage division. Um, and we want to plan in advance because when things get ugly, people are scared, they're nervous, uh, there are a lot of emotions involved, and that's not a good time to make decisions. So they had a very simple plan that said basically when – new applications drop blank percent for a blank number of consecutive weeks. We will cut overhead by blank. I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was very uh, process and formulaic driven. And uh, so when we do see that, those guys tend to either not lose money or not lose as much um, than people who are scrambling in the middle of it to try to figure out what to do. 
So as you've said a couple of times here, you've been in the mortgage business since 1978. I have a, a two-part question I'd like to wrap up, wrap up with today. How has the mortgage industry changed over that time? And do you, and, and do you see the future of mortgage banking being relationship-based or a technology-based business? Do the second part first. Transactions, uh, absolutely. You know, when I went up to college, my parents sent me down. They made an appointment to see the local Bank of America branch manager. They took my application to get a visa card. It's ridiculous. You know, I sat there. I was, you know, 18 years old. There was nothing to me. But he still had to fill out an application. That was, a, you can call that relationship banking. Um, for most people, you know, especially with things like DU and property inspection waivers and the ability of the LOS to go out and, you know, find out what you earn, uh, the idea of a relationship with a loan officer, particularly for a, a product that people, you know, they only get every five or seven years. Absolutely not. You know, looking down the road, five, 10 years, I just don't know why there'd be, you know, loan officers. Uh, so the changes, what was the biggest changes I've seen? Yes, wow. but I, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I don't know if we can bag on loan officers like that. But yes, tell me the biggest changes you've seen. Uh, how about this as a starter, that my second or third year in the business, Fannie Mae's net required yield was 19%. And today it's, what, two and a half or something. That's a huge change. Secondly, uh, there was no technology back then. No such thing as a loan origination system, no pricing engine. There wasn't even word processing. Um, and uh, the industry has just gotten a whole lot more efficient. Um, here's another thing. Uh, women were processors underwriters and funders, period. Um, I think when I hired Brenda Usher to run secondary marketing at Hamilton Savings Bank, she was one of a teeny handful of female secondary marketing people. Um, women were hardly ever loan officers. There was a company in Marin, of all places, and they're kind of famous for the fact that they had a woman loan officer. And nowadays, uh, your guess is as good as mine, probably better. But I've had, you know, close to half the loan officers are, are women. If not more, yeah. Yeah, if not more. Here's another change. There was no refinances. That sounds crazy where refinance business is such a big part of the industry now. So there wasn't premium pricing. Um, and if you don't have premium pricing, you can't have a no points loan or no cost loan. So the rule of thumb was you don't refinance unless your rate can drop by at least 2% because, you know, without premium pricing, you know, you got to pay out of pocket, you know, loan fees. And generally speaking, origination fees were two points back then, um, one to the loan officer, one to the house. So you got to come up with, you know, paying for your loan origination fees, for your title, for escrow, for your appraisals. And so, yeah, you know, if you had a, 7% loan, you wouldn't refinance it unless there was a five. So I'm just going to guess that the amount of business back then was, you know, 90% purchase, 95% purchase. That changed in the late, late 80s. Um, but can you imagine, once again, can you imagine the business without refinances? Especially this last year, can you imagine the industry without refinances? It would be a totally different place. You hit on something that I've found very interesting since I, since I got into mortgage banking. And that is in the eighties rates were in the teens. And now I think the latest Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey was 2.73% for a 30 year fixed rate loan. Rates can never go back up into the teens. Is the natural 
progression of rates, they just slide down this path of, of they just go down and down and down until they reach zero eventually because of technological innovations or uh, different access to capital? Or uh, Do you understand what I'm asking here? Of course I do. Um, the answer is we've had a 40 or 43-year bull market, um, you know, where bond prices went up and rates went down. And if you think about reversions to the mean over a long period of time, um, my guess is that even though people have declared inflation dead, that at some point it will come back and that you'll have rates rising. Hard to imagine rates going to 19%, but I'm sure, you know, before they did, it sounded like a ridiculous concept. Um, on the other hand, if you look around to Europe, um, Japan, other places, you know, where rates are below zero, um, I wouldn't discount entirely the fact that mortgage rates might be at zero. Certainly, they could be at one, but maybe zero. In Denmark, you know, they have negative mortgage rates. So, Robbie, I don't know. I mean, really, what you're asking is what are the outlooks? What's the outlook for uh, inflation, right? And, um, you know, if you look over the history of modern economies, inflation comes and it goes. It's, I don't think you can declare that inflation will never happen again. And so there will there'll be a time in our lifetimes, um, you know, where rates are at four or five, you know, maybe six or seven. For, for the sake of me buying a house, let's hope not. Uh, I, have, I have one bonus question for you here before I let you go. If, if you were flush with cash, would you buy a mortgage company at this point? No. Um, I might invest in a mortgage company, which I guess is answering yes, with the thought that uh, I would try to focus really clearly on knowing when to sell it. Um, and, you know, when the wind is at your back, you can make so much money in the mortgage industry. We have clients, you know, uh, single owner companies where, you know, they'd make one or two million, maybe three million in a good year. And then last year they made 15 or 20. I mean, everybody made huge multiples of their normal earnings. Um, but uh, here's the thing that's really interesting, Robbie. Um, we have clients, our bank clients, I think our oldest one is from 1842. We've got a bank client from 1860. Um, a lot of banks from the early 1900s. Banks kind of last forever. They can. And I can't think of a single mortgage company that was around in the 70s or the 80s. And I don't think I can think of any in the 90s. And mortgage companies just don't survive. And when you get right down to it, um, it's not like, you know, M&A and the consolidation of the banking industry. They don't survive because they don't have happy endings, for lack of a better term. And so um, just huge fortunes get made. And then, unfortunately, a lot of those fortunes get lost. So if I were to invest in a mortgage company, sure, I would try to, you know, make a whole bunch of money um, in the short term, but be ready to, you know, immediately pull the plug. And I guess since we've been talking so much about economics on this interview, might as well use a John Maynard Keynes quote and say, in the long run, we're all dead. So what's the matter? Exactly. <laughs> Do you know what his deathbed <laughs> statement was? I'm sure I've heard it, but I can't recall it off the top of my head right now. I wish i had had more champagne. Have you taken that to heart in your own life? I, I can't stand champagne. You know? I love, <laughs> I, I, seriously. <laughs> It's a good drink. Well, Joe, I, um, I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. I have uh, I've enjoyed this interview immensely. And I it was fun. To, 
Yeah, I I look forward to having you back on soon. Thank you. Well, the global reflation trade, with bonds selling off and commodities rising, has been the norm lately. U.S. Treasuries ended yesterday on a mixed note after a volatile start. Money flowed out of equities to start the day, but we then saw the release of a better-than-expected consumer confidence report for February, where attitudes about current conditions improved for the first time in four months, aided by some improvement in the view of the labor market. The release of Fed Chairman Powell's prepared remarks that were delivered to the Senate Banking Committee reiterated that any changes to the Fed's bond-buying plans will be communicated well in advance, which provided welcomed certainty for investors. The day's $60 billion two-year note auction was met with soft demand ahead of today's $61 billion five-year note sale. The FHFA housing price index increased by 1.1% month-over-month in December after increasing 1.0% in November, while the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index rose 10.1% year-over-year in December, more than expected. Housing is strong. Today sees Fed Chair Powell back on the hill to testify on the monetary policy report before the House Financial Services Committee. Two other Fed speakers, Governor Brainerd and Vice Chair Clarita, are scheduled to make appearances elsewhere. On the data front, we've seen that mortgage applications decreased 11.4% from one week earlier, according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's Weekly Mortgage Applications Survey for the week ending February 19th. Later this morning brings new home sales for January and that $61 billion five-year treasury note auction I mentioned. Today's MBS purchase schedule by the Fed is the largest of the week, with the desk scheduled to purchase $7.6 billion over three operations, including over $6.2 billion in UMBS 30s. We begin the day with agency MBS prices down worse a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 1.38 after closing yesterday at 1.36%. Unfortunately, for today's joke, as well as more on employment and transitions, lender correspondent and broker services and products, and trainings, events, and membership opportunities to wrap up February, visit robcrispin.com. Thank you for spending a few minutes of your time with us. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.